Welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. The following review will contain spoilers and may contain strong language. As part of our Pull in Focus series, we'll be discussing the J-horror movement, looking at titles such as Ring, Juon, and Kiyoshi Kurosawa's 2001 horror film, Cairo. Welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. I ain't afraid no ghosts. It's Gally in Glasgow. <laughs> and I forgot to write a funny line. And it's Devon in London. <laughs> this is Matt again in South Korea. We've had a bit of a, a bit of a break on the show, and we thought, seeming as it's October, spooktober, Halloweeny, however you want to describe it, we would uh, we'd go back and look at a um, a particular period of time where we all got into a certain movement uh, coined as J-horror, I guess. That's that's the famous term. And we're going to be looking at some of the big, big hitters. In particular, Devlin, you picked one that neither me or Matt were aware of, Pulse hmm. from 2001. That's right, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, that's correct. Um, originally, I wanted us to, to just have a little chat about Pulse just because I think it's um, a film that I'm not sure has the 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 same sort of visibility as some of the others from the era and i really feel like it's it's worth a look but um when we started kind of talking about it and uh and having a little chat about what sort of episode we do it ended up being a case where it didn't really make sense to talk about this one without sort of contextualizing it with like you say that that brief but glorious j-horror boom of the of the very early 2000s so um we're also gonna have a little chat about uh, Ringu, uh, or The Ring, and uh, Juon, The Grudge, uh, which were, I would say, probably the two most uh, successful and recognizable films of the of the era, and just see if there's anything we can sort of, anything we can sort of pull out about the, the whether there's thematic similarities, and um, uh, we're also going to be having a quick chat about their, uh, their remakes. Uh, all three of these films were subject to the the great Hollywood remake machine uh, very shortly after their releases. So um, yeah, that's why I wanted to talk about Pulse really. It's a film that um, I'm a big fan of and I, I wanted to see what you guys thought of it. And uh, and we've got Matt back from South Korea. Matt, what have you been up to? Because it's been a long time since we talked about Audition. So what have you been doing in the uh, prevailing month? Well, I've actually been making my own uh, K-horror a uh, short film, and uh, I've been continuing to teach here in South Korea, and we've been making a film, uh, myself and my girlfriend, who was also the uh, producer on the film. Uh, we've shot it, and we're ready to do a few pickups, and we're sound designing and scoring at the moment, so it's an exciting time. Have we, have we got a potential release date? Originally, we wanted to finish it by Halloween, but it's it's going to be a bit longer. The Jeonju Festival, Film Festival, where I am now, is going to be in january so that's more of a realistic finish date i think we're going to take our time and really try and get it right um so maybe 
2020. Can you give us a, a synopsis? The original story was about a Korean high school girl who's plagued by sleep paralysis and she's visited by a, a shadowy version of herself. And uh, there's some similar things in some of the films we're going to talk about today. The rumors of a sudden death of a sleeping classmate circulating a school. Um, it deals with the pressures on the Korean youth, uh, pressures from friends, pressures from school, pressures from academies, religion, and uh, the distrust of adults. And there's even some uh, relation to religion, which I know Gali's going to talk about a little today. Uh, but my film's not devoid of horror. It's got some horror in there, but um, there, there are some things in the films we're talking about today that will, you know, that it's kind of echoing. It's got hallucinations and flickering TV static and even a closing shot that resembles one of the films we talk about today. So uh, the ones we're discussing, uh, I really owe a debt to. Uh, even Wes Craven, the co-writer of the the Pulse screenplay. Well, I'm not sure we should credit him too highly for that one. But uh, his earlier work on A Nightmare on Elm Street was definitely a big um, influence too. We're definitely, definitely looking forward to uh, to seeing that film when it's released, Matt. So hopefully we'll uh, we'll see it in January next year in 2020. Wow. Exciting. If you keep an eye on the Rewind Movie Podcast Twitter, and I'm sure there'll be something on there. Any Rewinders can check it out on there. Right. Before we get into Pulse, we need to contextualize this movement of J-horror. So Devlin, do you want to give us like a, a quick brief overview of the origins of J-horror? Yeah, we, we touched on this a little when we, uh, when we all talked about Audition together a few months back. We talked about, uh, we talked about the, the character design of Asami, that kind of long, lank black hair and the white clothing. And um, uh, there was even allusions to to the sort of classical literature that a lot of this stuff is based on uh, in the character name of uh, Aoyama, that, that leads uh, our lead character in audition. Um, the the roots of kind of Japanese horror go back uh, kind of to the roots of, well, I would say horror. It's more kind of ghost cinema. They, they, they call this stuff uh, kaidan or uh, ghost stories. The more classical form of J-horror cinema would be something like kaidan eiga. Uh, which kind of had a, a big movement in the 50s. But going back, its roots kind of lie all the way back as far as um, Japanese literature itself. Um, there's a, a book called the Tales of the Genji, which is often credited as being the first novel, not just in Japan, but possibly the first novel ever written. Its, its roots go back to around the, the 1100s. And within that, there is a character of a wronged woman who becomes a vengeful spirit. This has continued on throughout uh, most of their stories. There was uh, uh, towards once you move into the Edo era, you start to get these uh, these gatherings called uh, um, Hyaku Monogatari, which means uh, 100 stories. Mm -hmm. And you would have 100 candles in a room and people would tell 100 ghost stories, extinguishing a candle each time they do. Uh, this was like a like a parlor game. So there's there's a. a a tradition, I guess, certainly from like the Victorian era onwards in in Britain of similar things. There's lots, of, there's plenty of um, plenty of uh, folk tales and ghost stories, but I think it's it's woven quite strongly into the the fabric of Japanese society, possibly more so than it is anywhere else. Japan doesn't really have a, a didactic kind of Christian or Judeo-Christian religious history, at least not until recently. They're uh, their religions are more pantheistic, and they don't have that kind of strict 
boundary between the living and the dead. Most folk tales would involve something passing from the spirit world to the real world and, and vice versa. Um, they have a festival every year in, uh, in August called Oban, which is kind of like our Halloween, really. Um, a day when the, the walls between the living and the dead uh, are at their thinnest, but they don't really, um, it doesn't have that same uh, uh, emphasis on, on it being scary. It just sort of is. And that kind of carried on through uh, through no theater. And then that became Kabuki theater. And I think Kabuki theater is something that has the, the biggest influence on uh, when you start to see the cinematic representations of ghosts. You, you get that, that really codified image of uh, the pale face, the dark eyes, the dark hair hanging down, the white robes. The white robes are burial robes and the the dark hair kind of hanging loose is generally because women in society would tie their hair up. They would have their hair done up very elaborately uh, until the funeral rites, at which point the hair would be down. So that's why the, the, the ghosts always appear with that lank hair covering the face. For most people that have seen J-horror or any kind of J-horror film, that is the iconic image, isn't it? If you've seen Ring, Grudge, even Impulse or Cairo, uh, you have a similar type of uh, a visual representation. If you make the comparison, it's like our version of urban legends and myths, talking around a campfire, you know, telling ghost stories. Not necessarily inherently like cautionary tales about don't do this. There's a there's a blur in between the living yeah. and the dead that isn't necessarily um, a heaven and hell, which yeah. is kind of what Western Western religions have is a is a more um, I guess it's it's less ambiguous, isn't it? Yeah. There's, there's good and there's evil. Evil is below, good is above. Look, look to the clouds and look below the earth's core and that's where the devil, the demons and all that other stuff comes from. Yeah, and they do they do have hells. They have multiple hells, uh, really specific ones, which is uh, something that's carried over from like classical Chinese uh, religion as well. Um, something that is uh, kind of explored in... Um, the Simpsons in that uh, Treehouse of Horror episode where, <laughs> where Homer has to eat all the donuts. <laughs> um, there, there was lots of uh, a lot of the, the the folk tales. These kind of um, these kaidan, they would often have a little moral tale tacked onto the end of them. Usually a very Buddhist um, moral tale. That would usually be because uh, publishing just like pure ghost stories would probably be seen as being. Um, uh, a little tacky, I guess, or that it, it wouldn't be prestigious enough to be able to to be published. Certainly in the in the earlier days, Kiyoshi Kurosawa, the the director of Cairo, the original Cairo, uh, actually name checked a, a director called Koji Tsuruta, and he said that in his very very early nineties uh, work, uh, there's like a film called Scary True Stories, which is again one of these. It's ten little folk tales all told in, in 90 minutes. Um, he kind of credits him as codifying this sort of jerky movement, white robe, lank black hair, scary ghost, walking slowly towards you. Um, and it's certainly something that all three of these directors uh, took very much to heart. So um, yeah, that brings us up to the, the 90s pretty much and uh, leads us very nicely into talking about, I guess, the the first of the the big J-horror boom, which is um, uh, Ringu. Yeah, you say Ringu, Devlin. I read somewhere that um, that it's actually just Ring. Like, the, it, there is no Ringu. Is that... 
correct me if I'm wrong. Oh, like the the the, the pronunciation is is just the um. So it's a katakana pronunciation. So it is uh, in Japanese when you translate a word from any other language into Japanese, you use uh, katakana, which is a different alphabet. But um, Japanese is a, a syllabic language, not individual letters. So uh, basically, there are no words in Japanese that end on a consonant, unless that consonant is the letter N. So it is ri, n, g, but just because they don't have a letter G. Oh man, it makes for a terrible game of uh, countdown, doesn't it? It it does. It's. Uh, I always wondered why they would like translate things into uh, translate words that that are so difficult to translate into the Japanese language. Like pulse is a clumsy word to try and say in Japanese. The Japanese translation of uh, Cairo is closer to lines, and it's likely pertaining to phone lines. I think, and it it kind of means twisting around and crossing others. And the root of the line, literally, and uh, perhaps relating to circuitry. Okay. Oh, yeah, 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 makes sense. That's that's a lot more cogent than the English translation. Yes, it is. Yeah, we'll stick with this new wave of Japanese horror, starting with Ring Ringu, however you want to say it. Researching this was actually quite interesting because there was there was actually a TV movie, wasn't there? That was like almost yes. soft softcore porn that didn't do very well <laughs> then uh then it's a Hideo... very successful <laughs> novel it's a yeah, like the, yeah, it was a, a yeah a successful novel turned into a tv movie uh for japanese audiences which then you know didn't pull up any trees and then hideo nakata uh who's now like kind of seen as like the godfather of j horror he directed ring and he also directed dark water he takes it makes this film in 1998 and we have ourselves a new subgenre in horror, right? Yeah, I mean, it was hugely successful um, back home in Japan. Um, it's interesting, like you say, uh, the TV movie. There's a lot of um, Japanese TV horror. Most of these directors got started in uh, in TV. Um, Hideo Nakata did a lot of work in television before he broke through into cinema. Um, uh, Kiyoshi Kurosawa, the director of Cairo, did a lot of TV work. Um, he also did a lot of uh, what they call V cinema which is like straight to video, uh, which mm-hmm. is also how Takashi Miike, uh, the director of Audition, got his start as well. So there's a few roots into into filmmaking, but it seems that most of these genre filmmakers either came up through TV horror or straight to video, like Yakuza action films and horror. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, there's there's been a few iterations of, of Ring, um, but this was the one that, that, that kind of hit very big. And it, it took two years for it to make its way kind of out of japan or certainly to the uk market it had um like you say it was shown at the edinburgh film festival in 2000 alongside the sequel uh ring 2 and i can only assume that that was at the uh behest of uh tartan films which uh i'm sure we're all pretty familiar with from our old video and dvd collections i don't know which ones i have actually which which ones do you own uh, the tartan film so i've got the grudge one and two uh, I actually have the audition Tartan film DVD, mm-hmm. and uh, I thought I had the ring, but I uh, I must have uh, I must have dispensed of that. Um, I only had seven days, I guess. So yeah, <laughs> that's it. I don't have them. Yeah, I, I think got, I have um, Battle Royale and uh, and Ring. I think they're the only two that I have, or maybe I even borrowed Ring. I'm not too sure. Uh, There's another one that uh, Sam Hollis had that 
he perhaps lent us both our point, the South oh, Korean yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, ghost story. It's a Vietnamese, uh, they're a Korean platoon in Vietnam and yeah. they uh, receive a radio signal from, a, a mysterious radio signal and they have to investigate and it's kind of a cool ghost story. But yeah, I'm, I'm just like, I've got my DVD shelf in front of me and I'm just scanning through it and there's just, I went on an absolute <laughs> tear in the early 90s. There's like Into the Mirror, Coma, uh, Acacia, um, it's uh, wishing stairs there's a fucking tons of them. I think um, they they certainly went on a huge acquisition uh, jaunt, not just in Japan but across all of Asia, trying to snap up these uh, uh, horror titles. Devlin, so we've been talking around Ring. You just give us a, uh, a sort of a reminder of the synopsis for Ring 1998. Sure. Um, the story concerns a, a journalist investigating the weird circumstances surrounding her niece's death. Uh, during that investigation, she discovers and watches a videotape which curses those who do watch it to die in exactly seven days. She races against time to unravel the mystery behind its disturbing images to save herself and the life of her young son. Pretty simple and pretty terrifying. I think I remember I watched it first time. I, it was on Channel 4 late night. It might have even been Film 4, but I think it was Channel 4. And uh, it absolutely scared the bejesus out of me. Um, hit all all the soft spots for me. Uh, and obviously, most people remember it for the iconic scene where the entity uh, comes out of the TV and attacks you, literally comes out of the television. But I just found it so... Oh, I don't know. I was crippled with it. Like, again, watching it on my own late night, television kind of fits into the urban legend that's a great first way to see it i was researching it on youtube for this podcast and i found the original mark commode introduction for the uh, channel 4 showing as part of some uh, asian extreme season i think they were doing and i think that's the best way to see it he he introduced it really eloquently but i, I think i saw it on a, a borrowed dvd from a friend which is kind of cool because it felt like a scene from the from the film almost being dared by a friend to watch watch something scary so that that's a great way to see it too weirdly i had a a very different viewing but um i was in i was in stoke-on-trent at the time i was uh like first year of uh university um and me and i would say probably at least eight other people crammed into our kitchen in halls and watched the the video of it on a tiny little tv vhs combi um and wow, right. we we're all 18 at this point so you would expect that that would be the sort of thing where people would just sort of disregard it or you know try and like have a bit of bravado about it but not nah, eight people in a kitchen all fucking terrified by this thing like horror went through a whole stage of sort of meta postmodernism, didn't it mm. it's like we had scream in when was scream like 96 or 96 yeah, and nice then you had like a yeah, you had a slew of imitators. I remember watching like Urban Legends, which you know is kind of goofy and fun, but it's not in any way scary. Mm. Um, I know what you did last summer, which is just like boobs, and again, just not scary. And they all just became felt kind of cynical, yeah, and a little yeah, bit um, all all knowing and not really there for the scares. And even the kills were kind of just kind of lame and 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 just the whole point of it was to kind of wink at you and say, we know that you know what's going to happen. And then you had this thing from Japan, which already feels otherworldly because in my eyes, uh, wrongly or, or rightly, I look at like Asia 
and Japan and China as like being so devoid of what I'm used to living in the UK, living in the West, that it almost feels like another, you know, another world. And and then you have this horror film ring and it absolutely, it just hit me so hard. I was so scared, but I was also, you know, like a junkie. I just like, I wanted to absorb all of this Asian cinema. And I think that's what happened with most people, right? Like they just yeah. got into it. Yeah, it was a much needed reinvention of the whole thing. The I guess the West had the Blair Witch Project, which ushered in the, uh, the found footage mm. genre, which was another great reinvention. And the thing that I like about Ring and Blair Witch, they both have excellent uh, uh, mythologies within the films that are very solid and uh, ground it really well. But I think you're right, Gally, about the mystery of the, the East. You know, it, it's uh, it's an alien world to us. And and being 18, as, as Chris was when he first saw it, you know, we don't really know too much about it. And that really helps with the, the mystery and the horror. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, Matt, having now lived uh, in, in uh, East Asia for quite some time, um, how do you feel that that's that's changed like in terms of you know a demystification process do you think that happened before you moved out there or since you've been living there well i i think the whole thing is an illusion the more you travel the more you realize that everyone is really very similar uh we have our customs and we have um differing cultural aspects and preferences and things but that really everyone is all we all want the same thing and uh, we're all scared of the same stuff so it's it's just a case of uh talented filmmakers doing something in- incredibly visceral and uh affecting and again the mythology it's the it's the underpinning mythology for me that really does it with films like ring and uh uh also the grudge has a as a very good one too i i kind of like the uh the yuri I, i'm not sure how to pronounce it is it the yure uh, it's the, um, uh, do you know, do you, you'll probably know more than me about that, but it's the, the vengeful, um, uh, female who's been yeah. wronged. In so like way. the, yeah, the Yurei is like the, the, the wraith. And, um, they also have a, something called an onryo on, or onryo, which is like, a that's the, yeah, the, the kind of the, the spirit that wants kind of one thing. And usually that one thing is, is revenge. It tends to be women women scorned women wrong usually women who have been killed or died in uh in in horrifying circumstances usually to do with their mistreatment at the hands of a man right i have a line here uh if the person dies in a sudden or violent manner such as murder or suicide which applies to ring and the grudge uh actually she's uh, it she's kind of killed or uh she's um uh, exploited mm. i guess um in in ring uh but in uh, in the grudge there's an actual jealous fit of rage that results in a in a murder and also if the proper rights have not been performed or um if you're influenced by powerful emotions such as desire for revenge love jealousy hatred mm. or sorrow um that that's how it can begin and it, it's also about um bridging the gap between realms and uh, the physical world and the ghost world and can I slightly not not disagree, but can I bring a point to you, Matt, about what you're saying about the differences between Ring and uh, and Grudge? I found them to be thematically like totally interlinked. You know, the same themes of betrayal and abuse, and and actually in the Japanese Ring, it is the same 
vengeful spirit, is it not? Like, and we have sympathy for that spirit once we understand the mythology, the history behind why. Uh, what's what's the the Sadako, Sadako, isn't it? Sadako, Sadako in yeah. The Japanese. So we've got Sadako in Sadako, in, uh, yeah. in in the ring, yeah, or Samara in the remake. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, we'll get to the US <laughs> remakes in a minute. But, um, but yeah, we have uh, we have a sympathetic or villain or entity, and uh, and I I still think it it plays into those same themes. I actually had a little bit of a theory because I didn't want to ask you which one you prefer. Uh, I I really like the Grudge. But I think I know why. I think the Asian producers, Asian filmmakers, clock onto this pretty quick, and the Grudge feels like a just like a slight deviation on the story of Ring. Same themes, similar creepy creature, but it feels far more tailored to a sort of Western audience. Like the set pieces are a little bit more dynamic. There's less procedural. Well, there is no procedural. Mm. Uh, mystery that's being followed in in the grudge and uh and it's just so stripped down and simple uh so yeah that was my little theory on the grudge because it was just the way it was mm. shot and like they do they implement a, a few more jump scares maybe than ring which is far more atmosphere and mood which grudge is but it feels more traditional and slightly more western i don't know what you thought of that but that was uh that's certainly re-watching it that's what i felt I, uh, re-watching it with fresh i eyes. think that's definitely fair i think um watching ring back for the first time in a long time um i realized that it, that it is very low on like traditional scare you know like uh, it, it's not trying to jolt you into feeling spooked every five minutes you have a, a sequence at the beginning. You have a couple of sequences sprinkled throughout, but generally, it's it's yeah, you're right. It's um, there's also you know that mystery to unravel at the at the middle. Whereas um, yeah, Juon is yeah, it feels very frightened, uh, doesn't mm. it? The uh, the the sort of the unraveling of the mystery, the investigation feels like uh, like the firm or something. Yeah. The way that they uh, play it out in the ring. Um, I mean, I I really love like I I I absolutely love the way it plays out, and and I think that. Even though I had seen it before, I think watching it back again, I was completely sucked in for the whole running time of of watching them kind of gradually scratch away at this at this uh, this mystery at the at the core of it. Whereas uh, I must admit, Juon didn't grab me as much. Maybe it's because I didn't watch it um, back in the right era. I watched it a little later. Um, I I thought it's it's mm. uh, it's an ex- like it's it's a really well executed horror film. And it's it's more kind of I, I want to use fun in very massive inverted commas, but I did find it more fun. Like it's more of a kind of ride. There is another version of um, Grudge that exists. It was made for video in 1999, hmm. and it's actually the version that uh, the Japanese audiences prefer. And there's only one reference to it that I could find, and it's when in the remake the uh, character of yoko her jaw is cut off and um that's actually related to the original version of the grudge there's a jealous killing there's a kayako's son toshio uh he actually lives at the end of the of that version and he inhabits the soul of the cat much like what happens uh in the later versions uh, Kayako's crush became Toshio's teacher, and he discovers the body like Bill Pullman does in the in the remake. Um, <laughs> and there's the 
angry father of Takio. Uh, he kills the teacher's pregnant wife and unborn child. Uh, it seems a, a much more violent depiction of mm. it. Uh, and the, the teacher, Gobayashi, is in shock and he passes out and Kayako's ghost kills him. Uh, and then the angry father encounters another ghost in like the cyclical revenge way. It could be Kayako and it could be the teacher's wife. Uh, and uh, that ghost takes revenge on him and kills him. So the narratives are slightly different, but that 1999 video version, uh, although I couldn't find it, is apparently Japanese audience's uh, favorite version of uh, Jew on the Grudge. That's interesting. Because um, uh, Takashi Shimizu, the, the director, um, he was only, what, 28 at the point where Jew on came out? So that means that he must have created that first version even younger, like around 25. Right. And he's been involved in in most of the the films. There are now uh, thirteen wow. uh, Juon related films, like nine in Japan and three in America. I think he's riding that train. <laughs> <laughs> he knows uh, he knows where the profits are. Um, weirdly, he was actually a, a student of um, Kiyoshi Kurosawa. And there's another one on the way. There's a 2020 remake of uh, The Grudge from the Evil Dead guys, uh, Sam Raimi and Rob Tappert. It's really fitting that uh, Sam Raimi and Robert Tappert um, were involved in the previous remake and the remaking again, um, just because uh, I've, I've read that uh, Takashi Shimizu is on record as saying that basically his biggest influence in horror, even more so than those kind of Japanese precursors that we were talking about, was uh, Sam Raimi. Yeah, there's one shot in the remake of a, a book flipping its own pages that is really reminiscent of Evil Dead. And uh, yeah, you can see where some of the influences come from. Yeah, and it definitely makes sense. He's um, extremely inventive with the camera and you know some of the set pieces. And they are, they are really, that's what I mean when I say kind of appeals to a wider audience and kind of mm. cross-culturally culturally translates fantastically is the um they are set pieces the way that the the grudge gets the victims uh, mm. i'm thinking in particular the um the sister in her flat and the the entity is underneath the duvet it's just wonderful imagery scares the bejesus out of you but there are those similarities with ring you know there's uh, mm. technology as a conduit for the spirits you know mobile phone and television they all kind of interlink with each other but definitely um shimizu's camera work is uh, reminiscent yeah. of Raimi's for sure he keeps doing that um that three quarter turn from over the shoulder of a camera uh, the over the shoulder of a character and then swinging the camera around to in front of them which Raimi loves doing when you say like set pieces uh, the way that Juon is is structured, which I really like. I mean, it's it literally is set pieces. Like they they have a title card of the name of the character who's going to be taken by the curse next. Yeah, yeah, totally episodic. Whereas Ring is more of an unraveling and of a of a mystery. And as that unravels, it kind of descends into to more horror. Existential dread is built up uh, in Ring, whereas Grudge is. It's just far more propulsive, I guess, which yeah. is one of the reasons why I think, and I don't want to make the which one is better, but I know which one I would rewatch more, and it's probably Grudge. But I would maybe say that Ring is the better film. I think something interesting about the remake is that it's the same director, but the structure of uh, the Grudge mm. was altered quite a lot. Um, the set pieces are still there. I felt they were quite rushed in the remake. Mm. The American remake really 
kind of plows through it as opposed to uh, letting it sit with you. Uh, and the scene you're referencing, Gali, under the under the covers is much better in the original, I think. Yeah. And there are a few differences between the two. I mean, one one thing I noticed was that the in the original Juon, they filmed in a real life location. Uh, the murder house in the story was actually a real brick and mortar place. But in the in the remake, although it's the same director, they they went with a set. And I wondered if uh, the, the claustrophobia of the of Japanese houses has anything to do with the suspense within the film and uh, whether some of the larger American sets uh, fail to replicate that kind of suspense. That could be a, one of the key differences as far as the horror is concerned between uh, Japanese originals and US remakes. Grudge isn't as uh, thematic maybe as Ring. You know, Ring uh, speaks a lot about motherhood. Uh, you know, we have a, a single female protagonist who's trying to juggle her career with um, investigating the story. And through that investigation and her neglect of her own son, he he is then uh, infected with the virus uh, of Sudoku. Uh, whereas in, and in The Grudge, they kind of speak to the deterioration of the family unit again. You know, there's a generational gap between the young and old. And I think they refer to like Japanese working men as like salary slaves. And that's all in, that's all baked into the Japanese grudge. Mm. Whereas in the American one, I, 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 at first, I quite liked the idea of, well, Sarah Michelle Gellar is the uh, foreigner in and amongst this like, you know, in, in and amongst Japan. She, she has no idea what's going on, but they kind of, dismiss all that and essentially they just trans you know they just transpose all the american cliches and just put them in japan and it ends up being feeling a little bit hollow and like you said matt the the scares seem rushed and it's weird how a director can make the same film twice and it and it'd be worse second time round. but i guess that's just trying to capture the magic twice it's difficult mm. well i think the american sheen and the american gloss is uh like the it's it goes completely against what horror perhaps should be some of the the dirtiest grimiest films like texas chainsaw massacre and films like that and even you know into some of the the more uh, grindhousey exploitation stuff could be deemed scarier because you just you just feel the grime on it and uh, a hollywood remake is never going to quite get there in terms of the horror that bleeds into the storytelling as well i think maybe it affects ring a little more when you said, Gally, that um, the first kind of time you experienced watching The Ring and you didn't really, you didn't really understand it, like it felt alien. That I guess that's part of like when you dip into another culture's uh, storytelling traditions and they don't conform with your own. It's almost like you're operating without a safety net. You don't have that act structure to cling to. It's not, it's not pulling you through and telling you what's going to happen next. And like Matt, you were saying that um, like a lot of sort of lower budget grindhouse stuff, I feel like that has the same thing, but usually because you're dealing with people who are either... Incompetent or inexperienced. <laughs> either kind of out... Yeah. Yeah. Or, or genuinely right. legitimately weird. Um, and either way, you're on a kind of... You're off the beaten track. You don't know what's going to happen next. You don't know which characters are safe. You, there's, a, there's a real feeling of... Uh, uh, it's, yeah, it's that, that, lack of, that lack of safety net. And I think like you need that. In a in a genuine horror film, if you are going to be really unsettled, I, it's difficult to be unsettled by something that you can call the shots before they before they come up on screen. I thoroughly enjoyed Scream. 
kind of enjoyed Scream 2 and then I was kind of done with it just because it just ended up being the same thing. Well, the, the real death as well was uh, Scary Movie. Yeah, when Scary yeah. Movie came out in 2000 and it just spoofed the entire thing. You couldn't be scary yeah. after that. There's no way. So they, they looked to the East, I guess, for these new uh, these new films that were coming through with new structures and uh, Cairo that we're going to talk about later. Mm. It has, uh, for better or worse, it has a very uh, different structure to it that that's uh, a million miles away from the usual hollywood uh, type well that's an interesting point we talk about um like the the quick the quick death of the uh postmodern ironic slasher um that sort of leads us into this this era in hollywood where when you say they was ready kind of with open arms to to welcome something new which is to say that they were going to start mining this j-horror boom um, it's interesting to look at the the context of like American cinema, American horror cinema around 2000, because there must have been a reason why it all lined up the way it did. Because a lot of national cinemas never get a boom; they don't get a, a moment in the sun. So, um, do you think it was? Do you think it was just that that there was a a vacuum created by uh, the the slasher boom kind of deflating? And you need something to fill the multiplex. I think so, yeah. I mean, so Gore Verbinski's The Ring with Naomi Watts, which is, what, 2002? Made, like, $250 million, which is pretty unheard of. What was the budget? Because it looked very expensive to me. Well, they spent, mm. they spent a bit of money. And I guess that's, you know, you said about the Sheen, all these Japanese-US remakes, they all have money behind them. They're all... Blockbuster's probably too strong, but they all had up-and-coming stars or established tv stars mm. moving into cinema so sarah michelle Gellar, grudge i think jessica alba the eye we will yeah. mention Kristen bell in the bolt in P- poor veronica mars <laughs> yeah uh, jennifer connelly dark waters yeah um and and naomi watts in the grudge where naomi watts isn't quite naomi watts yet but she's done more home drive mm. she's got a little bit of buzz around her she's an up-and-comer and she's the one that's spearheading that entire series of films i i do remember and this is one thing the u.s remake buried the japanese original as in when people when it came out because we were all you know it was a bit it's a few like a year after we'd seen the Japanese version, and I remember people saying, "Oh, I'm going to go watch. Uh, have you seen this ring? It's amazing." I was like, "Yeah, yeah, it's amazing." Uh, where Where did you say? I was like, oh, I saw it at the cinema, and I was like, "No, no, no, you're talking about the US remake." And like, people hadn't even, mm. for most people outside of our little cinephile social group, just thought that the American version was the version. And I just think people were clamoring for, for ghost stories. We still see it now, even though J-horror kind of came and went, but we still see it now in like in more modern fare. You know, I mean, like, what's, what's, uh, what's one of the most popular things in cinema right now is the Conjuring universe. I saw a little bit in uh, Hereditary uh, when Tony mm. Collette is possessed and starts banging up, you know, upside down on a on a ceiling. It kind of reminded me very much of of the the evil spirits of J horror. The two they seem to have merged the found footage along with the the Asian influenced uh, films. So you've got some uh, the aesthetics of the found footage genre, but you've got some of the uh, the Japanese influences creeping in too. But I, I think we're really in dire need of a, a new resurgence as far as horror, because it's if horror's proved anything, it's that it's going to last forever there's always going to be something that that works 
So uh, I think we really need something new to come out that's really going to spark a, a new horror revolution. Should we should we just talk briefly about the the US remake of Ring, Gore Verbinski's? I mean, it was a huge blockbuster hit. Mm. People loved this film. But like some of the differences between the Japanese version and the American version and for better, for worse. I mean, what did you guys think of it? Well, the tech paranoia is uh, prevalent there. You've got the first scene with the two schoolgirls talking about uh, conspiracy theory and TV frequencies uh, messing with people's minds. And then there's a there's a cool inclusion that I don't remember in the original where um, Naomi Watts' character is looking out from her balcony into the windows of other people in their apartments and they're all watching tv seemingly hooked and addicted to these tvs and there's a a mother uh, smoking a cigarette on one side of the frame and uh, a kid watching tv on the other and it kind of links into our uh, addictions and uh, tech addiction or techno fear as uh, neil from the young ones would Mm -hmm. would say (laughs) (laughs) yeah i will say matt uh, the that shot is in the original uh, oh it is as well thanks yeah uh, of the yeah so uh, i don't think it's quite so on the it's nose not, it's not as no, on the nose and that kind of speaks to the american remake it's everything yeah. is dialed up to 11 uh so if you weren't 100 percent sure about the technophobia of television uh polluting our lives uh brian cox is going to tell you about how he's really <laughs> scared of horses <laughs> and that he's gonna gonna take his life by <laughs> Diving into the bath, holding, clenching a huge TV. Uh, so just in case. Oh, you and didn't also, <laughs> I mean, how many extension cables does that guy have? <laughs> Definitely a little bit on the nose. I, I remember kind of when I watched the US remake, the the sequence with the horse jumping off the back of the ferry. I was just like, "What is mm. this?" Like. But some of it was still quite affecting. You know, for example, the opening sequence with the two girls and the face being like actually gaunt. You're actually seeing it as opposed to in the Japanese version, which is done through um, a freeze frame frame filter. That was way more affecting, way more unnerving, uh, a little bit scarier. I liked the the addition of uh, the, the running water motif. I thought that was quite nice. You know, when the when the ghost is in is invading the space. It's uh, it's a nice little visual flourish. I did like yeah. the uh, the um, faces, uh, the way that the faces were warped in the remake. I thought that looked that looked pretty good. There's a couple of things that I didn't like. I, there's a, a flash the flesh aesthetic to a lot of these remakes, and it, it, it looking back at them recently, in particular, it's it's very obvious that it's an excuse to get Naomi Watts in her bra. Or there's a scene in Pulse that we're going to talk about later where. Uh, Kristen, Kristen Bell removes <laughs> a shirt because there's a stain on her shirt. And I know you've got some issues with yeah. the Christina Millian, uh, Millian stuff in there, but you know, yeah, it, it's a flash yeah. of the flesh aesthetic and they're just going for uh, midriffs and, uh, you know, any, anything they can get in because there's, there's really nothing in the Japanese versions like that because they're really focusing on story they're really earnest about it and they're not really thinking yeah, about the sexualization yeah. of it the bleeding of the the cultures into this one product is it's quite fascinating to see it like you say there's a slightly flashier aesthetic mood and tone substituted for set piece really and the other thing is thematically there's the the over explanation in the US remake is what really does does it a disservice. Like the idea that the um, 
Samara in the US remake is no longer a sympathetic character, but is actually just pure evil. Again, speaks to that whole Western cultural idea of we're not going to have any ambiguity. It's either good or evil, and she is evil, and there's nothing you can do about it. Whereas in the Japanese one, there's some nuance to it. You know, it's a victim, and actually we should be maybe focusing on what happened to her and the reasons why um, she became this evil spirit that's, you know, a virus spreading throughout, uh, you know, every, everyone that in you know watches the video. We don't get any of that in the US remake. It's just bad. Naomi Watts must stop. Bad. It seems like they go for a, a situation explanation, situation explanation, and it continues like that. But in the originals, it's more like yeah. situation, 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 situation. You don't really get a definitive answer to a lot of things, particularly when it comes to uh, Cairo. But uh, Grudge was kind of the lesser offender as far as that that goes. And and with Ring and Grudge, the the lack of full disclosure as far as why things are the way they are, it contributes to the horror. I think it's telling that um, that that the Ring. Gore Verbinski's The Ring is a full 30 minutes longer than the Japanese film. Uh, And yet, as we've pointed out, it doesn't have any of the kind of emotional clout. It doesn't have the same undercurrents. It doesn't seem to be instilling anything in you. It doesn't make you think about anything. And when you say that they've streamlined it, which they have, they've knocked off all of those kind of mysterious edges. And they've just, like you say, they've just replaced it with with just sequences. and you can it's it's the the aesthetic of of all three of these remakes um to a greater or lesser degree i think uh ring and later pulse are the two worst offenders which is um i feel like ring the original works because the visual style is is very low key it's very sedate it's very beige kind of mundane and then when things happen you're seeing like a just that little twisting at the edges of reality, and it's sort of undercutting a um, a recognizable version of of the real world. Whereas that sickly green filter that they chuck on everything in the ring, and that heavy oppressive score, and the constant twitchy noises and the glitchy edits, it's they're they're working so hard to create this idea that this is a horror and you should be horrified and. I think it just serves to totally undercut what they're trying to do, which is like if they're constantly needling you and jabbing you in the side and telling you that this is a scary movie and you need to be scared, you never settle into anything like a like a normal kind of uh, a level for them to subvert it to surprise you. So it, it for me, I just found it. It's just it's really I, I found it a bit annoying. <laughs> It plays into all the the Western tropes of horror that we um, that we kind of were sending up in the nineties in a, in a weird way. It kind of goes full circle. Oh, a bit like a ring. Very nice. <laughs> there we go. Right, we've teased it long enough. We'll discuss Kiyoshi Kurosawa's Japanese horror film Pulse or Kaido after these important messages. Are you ready for pain? Are you ready for suffering? If the answer is yes, then you're ready for Alex Neeland's Sports Dietitian Program. Yes, it's Edinburgh's own Alex Neeland. Alex offers people structure, motivation, and sustainable results using an unbiased and evidence-based approach to sports nutrition. You can read all about Alex's program by visiting his website, 
thesportdietitian.co.uk. You can also find Alex on Twitter at Alex Nealon Sport. That's the ticket. No pain, no gain. Okay, welcome back, Rewinders. So now we're going to do a pull and focus review of Cairo, which was Devlin's choice. So he has the honor of giving us the plot synopsis. I do. And as you alluded to, Matt, um, it is not the most straightforward plot. So I've kept it as simple as you possibly can, which is um, uh, a young woman witnesses a friend's mysterious suicide and a young man finds disturbing images on his first contact with the internet. The two slowly experience an escalating series of encounters with the paranormal as Tokyo seems to suffer a rash of suicides and the streets empty and friends disappear. Very concise. You've, you've done well to distill, <laughs> distill it to that. So you guys have never seen this film? No, never. No. So I think I discovered this around the same time when I was on my uh, um, Tartan Asia Extreme jaunt, uh, probably 2002, 2003, 2004. Um, uh, Pulse has always kind of sat with me in like the back of my mind as being the terrifying one. Like I remember, um, I remember being kind of really unsettled by ring and really enjoying it and watching it. Whereas there's something about pulse that has never, it's, it's, it's always just sort of hung around and um, it's kind of, it's kind of clung to me a little bit. So uh, I thought it'd be interesting to see whether it was uh, something that, that you guys had, had shared. So I'm, I'm, I'm very fascinated to find out what your first contact with this film was like. Well, I hazily believe I saw the US remake first on DVD, which is not a good way to be introduced to this at all. <laughs> uh, I think it was in the old Screen Select love film rental days. Did you ever do that? Yeah, yeah, yes, we did it. Yeah. And back then it was known as the the one where they come through the internet, you know, they come through the electricity and... Uh, the group of us that were watching presumed in a, in a paranoid technology is bad kind of way. But um, yeah, I, I think I saw that US remake first. And then my first viewing of Cairo was actually in, in the last few days preparing for this podcast. How about you, Gali? Yeah, no, I was the same. I'd never seen it before. I actually, you know, forgive me, never even heard of it. So, um, but I think kind of speaks to how quickly J horror uh, films came and went for me. I, um, you know, I fully, fully entrenched into it. And then the moment I felt like the tropes were all, all but too familiar, I kind of uh, checked out of it. And uh, and let's not forget, we didn't really mention it before, that simultaneously as J-Horror was coming in, we had found footage and then we also had the, uh, the you know, the coined torture porn films of Saw, Hostel, which I took a complete dislike to. So I think I just checked out of horror completely for this entire period. So Pulse, I'd never seen until, just like you said, Matt, a few days ago when I watched it. And Devlin was extremely enthusiastic in his uh, in his praise and want, you know was desperate for us to see it. So we were like, well, let's do an episode on this and we'll talk about J-Horror. Uh, yeah. I then watched the American one, which is definitely <laughs> the way to do it. I would not watch the American one first. Uh, you'll never get to the Japanese version, trust me. <laughs> no, no, you would not. If I had seen that film first, I would run a fucking mile from anything that had anything to do with it. Cairo is on the list of uh, the top 10 J-horrors constantly. If you Google it, it's on every mm. page 
that you would if, if you were looking into J horror, looking for something to uh, to start you off. I wouldn't recommend Cairo as the first one. I'd recommend going with Ring or um, or The Grudge, the original Juon, The Grudge. But um, Cairo is always in that list, so I'm actually interested to uh, to hear how what Chris thinks about it and and why Chris uh, adores it, or if you do adore it. I'm not sure if you do adore it, but you uh, you certainly. Um, think it's effective you're a champion i'm, I'm wondering yeah yeah, yeah, yeah no I, yeah. I think that's fair um yeah no it is fair to say that this is this remains one of my favorite films when we talked about that otherworldliness that that we got from those first viewings of ring and of juan um that has always stuck with me with pulse i find pulse just such a such a strange and honestly melancholy film and i realized that that's probably not what a lot of people want from their horror films it's like a it's a real bummer in a really good way like i find that it's i find it like moving um and i just i find it just very very strange like it always just it unsettles me every single time i watch it and i would say that certainly the first hour has some of the most indelible images of the whole of the kind of early 2000s Japanese horror scene. Kiyoshi Kurosawa himself has has readily admitted that uh, after the success of his film uh, Cure, which I honestly think would be something that that you, especially Gally, might actually like a little more than this, which is, um, is more of a kind of Seven-esque psychological thriller with horror elements. He openly admits, I watched uh, Ring. I watched Hideo Nakata's Ring, and I wanted to do something like that. Uh, he realized that it was going to be the big thing. Mm-hmm. It was it was how you can get funding. So he wanted to make a ghost story. But what he also did was he pulled all of these ideas that he had from the, the previous 10, 15 years, some of these ideas that there were just little images or, or ideas or uh, concepts that hadn't really found a home. And he just sort of placed them all in this film. And most of his films, they don't, they don't have very traditional structures, even by Japanese cinema. There will be kind of very long sequences, which um, a lot of Japanese cinema does usually because uh, Yasujiro Ozu is such a such a heavy influence on on that cinema. There's kind of big, still, quiet, wide frames, and you allow the 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 action to play out on them. You don't do much editing. Um, and so it just it, it creates this very oppressive uh sense of of dread and it does it very slowly and to the point where when something traditionally spooky does happen um it's just it's a bit of a jolt there's um the the sequence really the i guess is probably the most celebrated sequence um which is really simple which is just uh a guy stumbles into uh the first of the forbidden rooms the red room that has a the, the red tape surrounding it and he walks in and um as we find out that the forbidden rooms are where a, a ghost is inhabiting it and that he is is at one end of the room and uh the the spirit of a woman is slowly walking towards him again we've seen this in so many of these films but there's something about the very specific way that he has designed the character the way the character moves the effects that are used it looks like she is in slow motion underwater uh it's like it's tragic and it's terrifying and it just it it doesn't stop 
like the the length that the shot is held for is the thing that that is is just really unsettling she just keeps walking towards him and there's a point where she stumbles do you guys remember this scene where she's walking towards him and she sort of stumbles yes. to the right it definitely it definitely plays into um some of the familiar mm. tropes that have been established by ring by by Juon. you know uh once you once you're in the uh the same space as uh as these ghosts you're normally crippled with fear. You can't get away. You know, you try your best. I think the the character in that particular sequence, you know, climbs over a, a, mm. a settee and then tries to hide underneath it or look underneath it to see if they can see the ghost. And then the ghost is above them, which is quite affecting. Yeah, it's a it's an extremely effective scene. Um, I, I do wonder uh, if you've seen Ring and if you've seen Grudge, whether or not it's too familiar but i think he does you're right kurosawa does a good enough job to um differentiate it slightly i, I actually thought that the, the most affecting sequence was um the shot of um the female lead forgive me i've forgotten her name uh where she's just yeah michi where she's just uh finishing work and she w- crosses the road and then in the in the background uh, it's a quite a foreboding shot. You can see quite clearly there's a sort of water tower. She sees a character climb, and then we we literally watch someone commit suicide. That to me was the most affecting sequence in the entire film. Mm. And it, and what was the most affecting bit was not the shock of someone committing suicide. It was the way that um, the camera then moves around, and we see this empty street, and all of a sudden people start popping out from the from the side. Um, you know, as, it, yeah. as, as if like um, you've disturbed, uh, like you're you're in the middle of a forest and you've disturbed like the uh, the rabbits and the beavers and they're all just kind of coming out from uh, from their cubby holes. Yeah. I thought that was the most effective. I felt sequence. the same about that scene. Uh, I I did feel like the horror in in Cairo was largely ineffective, though. I didn't feel the same way uh, I did when I watched Ring and The Grudge to a certain extent. I felt an underlying sense of dread, perhaps, but though. The, the the set pieces were were lacking and uh, one of the only moments that i was actually unnerved aside from the one gali just mentioned was uh when junko um reaches out as uh haraway is uh, washing the dishes there's a very strange moment where she kind of reaches out and the camera is behind her and it was a very vague kind of moment of of horror and i was expecting a, a reverse angle and there would be something happening to her but it, Cairo kind of fails to deliver on on the usual tropes, and I think uh, that may be a plus for some. But when you're expecting something to uh, be alongside films like Ring and The Grudge, I, I couldn't help but be let down by some of the the, the horror in in the movie. I will say this, Devlin. Uh, initially, uh, so. It's, it's, you, you've mentioned before about structure. You've got two two storylines going on, and they. Uh, I mean, I was really thankful that they actually converge at the in the end. Uh, spoilers, uh, mm-hmm. but the um, but those two storylines in 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 isolation. I was constantly thinking, God, couldn't we just have had one group? Uh, and they both go on this journey. Uh, but one of the things that I was really worried about, and it's one of the things that I think maybe a modern audience member watching it for the first time and i because i had the same issue initially was uh, one of the characters is getting the internet for the first time and doesn't know how to bookmark a page so we have a whole sequence 
a whole scene <laughs> where someone has explained how to bookmark a page on the internet. And at first I thought, oh, this is this is such a barrier to entry for this film. Like it is so antiquated. It's it's way it's too behind the times now for me to even like get fully invested and actually to the film's credit like i got past that pretty quickly and once it became a a ghost story again kind of feeds into the same as ring you know there's a mystery we need to discover what is happening to these people why are people committing suicide why are people disappearing Mm. it actually did um it did engage me but i'm with matt like i wasn't quite as I didn't have those moments of existential dread, but for me, the big sequence that scared the hell out of me is when um, uh, Hairu uh, looks at herself and it's like the big crescendo of the allegory when she looks at herself in a webcam and kind of slowly walks towards it and embraces it. And that to me was the bit that kind of got me, Um, but it wasn't the spooky, scary ghost stuff. I wasn't so bothered by the mention of discs and the bookmarking of pages, although I, I did kind of, it did make me chuckle a bit when I, when I watched it, but you realized <laughs> when the film was made, it, it's, uh, you know, on, a, I want to be a bit positive about it because I wrote quite a few negative things about this film. I do want to say that the, on a positive note, it's, it's a film that's firmly of its time and that can be a negative or it can be a positive, but here I think it's forgivable. It, it neatly cements the film meaningfully in a in a 2001 kind of uh, time capsule. And one thing though, without that early 2000s backdrop of computers and this overarching fear of technology, I'm not sure Cairo would be regarded as as highly. I'm not sure how well it's aged. The fact that it was made at that time has given it a context that that really elevates it. And although it may be lacking in some of the typical horror, I think it's still uh, a relevant, a very relevant film in the J horror uh, genre. If people give this a chance and watch it and look at the uh, the themes that are running through it, it's more sort of prescient now than probably it was in two thousand and one. I mean, one of the big ideas of the film is that the advent of technology, the internet has meant that people are actually isolating themselves away. And the film plays with the irony of uh, a system that is built to connect us all that is actually doing the, the polar opposite. And the way that Kurosawa shows Tokyo is it's always empty. And in fact, the mo- there's, there's a couple of moments when people populate the streets, but really it's empty the whole time. And, and Devlin mentioned it before about the way the composition throughout the whole film, the frames are so big. Like he composes these medium and long shots and our characters are forever isolated within them. And I thought that was really affecting. So as a kind of a metaphor and an allegory that runs throughout the whole film, I think it's, I think it, it achieves everything it wants to. It's more cerebral than, say, Ring or Grudge. It's more of a thinking, you know, you know it's more artistic in that respect. It's, yeah, it definitely, I think it falls into the, it's an art house film primarily that has sort of that that exists within the kind of horror genre but yeah it's everything from the from the structure like you say you've got that bifurcated structure of uh two groups of characters discovering the thing which i guess i felt that uh they had done that just in order to um for, for two things one to kind of show uh, the spread of the problem to show that, you know, rather than experiencing something through that kind of microcosm of one individual character 
discovering something around it that if it happens to two different characters you're you're showing that this is a wider issue that is kind of pervasive rather than just being so centered on one protagonist just that it keeps it keeps you off kilter it keeps you off balance you don't know where you're going to be and and in whose story at any given time well there's also there's also a collision of those storylines that again works in works yeah. its way into the theme so the two characters that we're following uh, they end up meeting and they have they have a genuine human interaction one then fixes Mm. Uh, fixes the car, which you know you could look at as another machine that was designed to connect people, and uh, and through that they then go and unveil unravel the mystery together. I missed the through line of a single character narrative. I think I think maybe I've been conditioned to the Western uh, storytelling too much, but um, I think mm. I think we can criticize the U.S. remakes for having a formulaic nature, but. Um, I, I couldn't latch on to much when it came to Cairo. I think that uh, the US remake adheres to this single protagonist narrative because nine times out of 10, it's more effective. But um, of course, like comparing Cairo and, and Pulse is uh, a very strange thing to do. I mean, Pulse is just a, a very, very bad film. But yeah. <laughs> Cairo has really so bad. so much going for it, in in particular the the, the concept, which I feel was wasn't quite um, the, the film wasn't quite as strong as the premise, um, you know. Uh, and one other thing the uh, that I, I wanted to say that I liked was the the use of these grainy, uh, indistinct webcam images because flashing mm. flashing back to college at the time, which was uh, around probably 2001 uh i think i saw my first real death online um it was probably i'm not entirely sure what it would have been but it was probably a tiny mpeg of something we used to go to the celebrity morgue website to see the jfk um autopsy photos and the marilyn monroe yeah. autopsy photos it's like called we were, um there was a few websites out there, weren't there? Yeah, like we, break.com. It's the, and it all sounds that kind of... exactly. It sounds very morbid and strange, but we had access to that stuff for the for the first time, and it was kind of reminds me of the faces of death stuff that's kind of around. Mm. And uh, I remember watching one clip of a crocodile biting a man's arm off. That's one of the only things I remember from the time. But I I, I see why uh, Kurosawa is skeptical and fearful of the internet, and why he chose to make a film about that, if it is indeed about that and I, I can tap into that and uh, I, I remember feeling the exact same way it's amazing what is happening and the access that we have to things now but it also brings a, a fearful kind of feeling along with it. it just speaks to our interactions I mean you know we've been engaged with Twitter for probably about 12 months now and uh, and you kind of see the patterns of, of behaviors and it is one of those strange things where there are, it does appear that there are more and more people kind of searching for connections, searching for some, some, some type of human interaction, but it's all done online. And there's, there is a barrier there where it's, it is false. And this film did speak to me in that regard. And, and it also, you know, Devlin mentioned about it being quite oppressive. The whole idea that, yeah, you know, certainly from a Western point of view, that, in this film, 
it's saying that basically death is the loneliest the loneliest thing that you're ever going to experience like you will you will actually be lonelier in death than you will be in life and for us who uh as sort of like if you're brought up in a more christian uh tradition that goes that's totally counter uh in, intuitive to what we're told which is you know in death you know pearly gates and you'll be you know, playing vo- volleyball in heaven and all that kind of stuff. It's just, it goes completely against that that idea of Christianity and Catholicism. And that, to me, was more interesting. Uh, so I, I did find the film interesting, Devlin. I just didn't find it in keeping with the sort of J-horror traditions. I think um, the, the way he wants to engage with the idea of ghosts and the idea of death is much more of a kind of, it's a rumination on it. And he wants you to think about it as a concept and and what it could mean. And I know that he's spoken about um, before he made the film, he was uh, he was really inquisitive as to why it is that people are scared of ghosts and why it is that people want to put ghosts on screen. Why it's such a compulsion to talk about, to write about, to depict them. Um, and I think while maybe the framework of the film, the basic structure, which is like, oh, ghosts are coming through the internet and they're going to come get well, you. Well, yeah. It was possibly yeah. just something that he put together in order to secure funding because you you need to have, whereas, you know, I think what he really wanted to discuss was uh, loneliness, alienation, um, and this idea that he, he spoke about how um, a character seeing a ghost while you know you see people and they and they they're sometimes so scared that they just they they you know they they just die like the the deaths in j horrors can be a bit mysterious sometimes people are just scared to death by the ghost and and his thinking was that his characters they see a ghost and then they completely withdraw into themselves and and they either end up committing suicide or in some cases just fading into a stain on the wall for him it was what happens when you confront the nature of death what what can it do to somebody like some people it would um it would liberate them some people it would make them feel like things are just uh meaningless he spoke about how the idea of if you see a ghost in some ways it removes the mystery of death because even if you know that you will become a spooky ghost trapped in a room or trapped in the internet there's a certainty and a finality to what actually happens after death. And, and what would that do to somebody if you remove the great, the, the, the one great mystery that people have in life, which is what happens after you die. If you are confronted with a priori evidence that you know what happens, like what would that do to somebody? And I think that's what he was kind of exploring. And I think it's definitely uh, a little bit more intellectual than the Luddite opinion that the american the american remake goes for because at least with this film it turns into a quasi disaster movie which i definitely didn't see coming and uh, and there's a little bit more hope and positivity about it again like i say there's a lot of ideas just being thrown into this film because he had them one is that he says that he was brought up in the generation where uh, the kaiju movie was was the primary source of entertainment for young kids when he was a child you know the idea of uh, godzilla and uh um mothra and uh Ghidorah and all of the all of the, the kind of big monsters coming in destroying cities he says when i see a city on film i feel like it's there to be destroyed 
and then he go he, he was speaking about the the impulses behind the the filmmakers who made all those great showa era godzilla movies was that most of them had first hand experienced the complete destruction of virtually every major city in their country he points out that like throughout recorded history uh tokyo or edo when when it was before it was tokyo was was destroyed virtually destroyed roughly every 50 years so the idea of like permanence in a in a city just sort of doesn't exist for for Japanese people there's there's you don't have that same sense of like you don't go to a cathedral that was built in like 1100 and imagine that it will continue to exist for another thousand years it's like a, it's a it's a kind of fatalism and an impermanence of the idea that things will just collapse i did enjoy some of the technical aspects uh, perhaps more than the uh the narrative itself I like mm. the, the 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 murkiness of the cinematography and it was it was dull but very appropriate and uh I I loved the red uh the building of the red the flashes and the streaks and there's a red splash of paint behind the uh, uh the sofa guy that we mentioned earlier and red around the window mm. frames has become a very iconic thing um that they used color really well and one other thing as far as the photography i noticed a lot of pans they were doing these drifty pans and even some whip pans depending on what was happening in the scenes and it was very disorienting and uh effective and uh they were holding these long shots and reframing characters using pans and it was almost as if they were scanning the frame like a surveillance camera uh which mm. i thought was kind of cool um and a, a lot of the 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 themes were not lost on me but i i felt um i just felt it was a little muddled with what it was trying to to do and reading up more more about it and listening to your thoughts on it has actually helped but uh the film itself i i do think failed to convey some of those big ideas we're not going to give it too much time but should we talk briefly about the US remake starring uh, Veronica Mars herself Kristen Bell uh, made in 2006 or released in 2006 it's got a bit of a tortured history and it's um it's pretty dreadful it's a it's a really really good example of a bad US remake Cairo's failings would 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 be you know a, a, that it's kind of mysterious to a fault and that it's maybe not kind of satisfying as a as a genre thrill movie um but in terms of uh the difficulties in adapt in adapting a japanese film for a western audience we've said that you know juon basically was just sped up for the grudge just kind of just shuffled around and sped up and maybe that undercut some of the 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 tension and ring was saddled with these kind of pointless additions but of the three of them pulse was the one that was absolutely butchered like there is nothing that remains of of the original apart from a few set pieces which they honestly they just yeah. deploy almost at random like they have no idea why they're doing what they're doing no it, the the talent thing for me was uh, for those people those rewinders that are going to watch Cairo and then may dip their toe into pulse is that there is a there is a, <laughs> there, is a there is a there is a moment in the US remake where a character from the grave sends a package that just says use this don't know why it stops them from coming in and it's just three bales of red tape 
and that to me sums <laughs> up the filmmakers understanding of the original film like they haven't got a clue and it's so aggressively dumb it's edited to the nth degree i've never seen a film in such a hurry to get to the end credits like it, it does not want to yeah. linger on a single scene it's like how do we make this shorter uh, have have it start with her already in the room or whatever. It's just ridiculous. It's so it's... heavy-handed, and they use every trick in the pop promo director's handbook. They've got fast motion, slow motion, voiceover. Uh, there's just no restraint to anything. They just threw everything at it. And uh, Wes Craven's involvement is very puzzling. I really don't mm. understand why he's from, well. Uh, from what I hear, he um he was he was hired to write and direct, and he finished his script. And then he read his own script and didn't think there was a film in it, mm-hmm. so he so he gave up. Um, and then it was then it was passed to it's for the Weinstein's. We should point out that those dreaded Weinstein's were involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nothing nothing seems to linger after the credits with the remake. It's it's just there's nothing there. It's just vacuous. But the original has something. There even if even if the film, in my opinion, has some failings, that there, there is a. Uh, there are some thematic things that linger after the credits that that are that were worth exploring, uh, but there's nothing to be deduced from the remake. There's nothing to dwell on aside from that effects of technology on us. That, but but it's not really articulated well or at mm. all in the in the remake. If you're looking for your kicks of social media horror, then you know go with. I mean, it sounds bad, but go with like friend request or unfriended or any of unfriended or unfriended. there's also a good one with macy williams which isn't technically a horror but she made one called the cyber bully which isn't oh, uh, I, I don't think it's uh supernatural uh but it's uh it's pretty um pretty cool but I, you never know if the if the japanese remake remake of the grudge in january does well then i think pulse could be in line for a good remake i think you could make a an interesting film in 2020 about how technology has has kind of corrupted us yeah how we've pointed out that you know kiyoshi kurosawa seems almost vaguely disinterested in his own central conceit and is using it as a vehicle to explore other ideas but there is something quite primal about it and it's become very timely yeah i just feel like if you're going to do it you have to tear the the guts out of the film and reconstitute it into something very new and and the the remake was the worst worst type of like falling between two stools which is i mean every this was a thing that i also felt with the ring remake as well was i really despised the dialogue that they put in everyone's mouths they make everyone so fucking irritatingly sassy like everything is a snappy comeback uh, they, I think they, they gave it to Naomi Watts. She, she's introduced when she's saying that, isn't she going to murder somebody with a red pen? And then her her boyfriend, instead of being the kind of very standoffish, very strange professor type in the original, the boyfriend's like some dickhead grunge slacker video editor. Like, everyone's just really loathsome. Like all these kids are all just these super irritating college jerks. Almost every line in the remake is uh, exposition. Uh, it's it's yeah. devoid of any humor. It's got no depth. There's no en- real enjoyment. It wasn't really a fun watch. Trying to sum these two up, it feels like one of them demands too much legwork from an audience and the other one demands none at all. 
So I'd, I'd love, like you're talking about a remake then, I think this is a, a really good candidate for a, a J-horror remake with, in the hands of a great filmmaker. I think it could be um, really satisfying and scary and, and prescient. Excellent. Well, guys, I've thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed going through J-horror movement and also discussing Cairo and the, uh, well, less enjoyment on the US remake for Pulse. But hey, Every man's trash is another man's treasure. So there we are. And we can we can all say that we we comfortably got through one of the worst films any of us have ever seen. <laughs> so uh, you can find all of the films that we've talked about. Uh, most of them are on uh, via Arrow Video, uh, Blu-ray. Uh, you can also find them on streaming services. I believe Devlin is his right on Amazon Prime. If you're a member of Shudder, you can get a hold of all of these films. Yes, uh, Shudder and also Arrow Video has their own channel on Amazon Prime, which uh, has a, a wealth of the kind of films that we're talking about here. And if you want to head over to the website, uh, rewindmoviecast.com, and click on the post, uh, you'll see a written piece that I've put together for this. Uh, it's kind of a little introduction, and there's also some information on there about other reading, uh, some of the stuff we've mentioned throughout the episode, uh, books, and maybe some other film titles you might want to check out if you feel like J-horror is something you want to dig into a little more. And we also are running a competition, which uh, which we will announce on Twitter. Uh, myself and Davlin will be reenacting a famous scene from a horror film. And uh, all we ask is that you uh, tell us what the film is. So that'll be interesting. And you'll get a chance to win a Arrow Blu-ray copy of the Japanese Ring, which is amazing. And it's full of features and a 4K uh, restoration of the original. So it's well worth winning. Uh, Matt, want to thank you for your time. Thank you for coming and joining us all the way from uh, from South Korea. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you very much. Yeah, no, we're really looking forward to seeing the short film, hopefully in the new year. Shall we say our goodbyes, gentlemen? Can you do it in the style of Brian Cox dying in a bath? <laughs> ah, yes, we can. Uh, it's Galley in Glasgow signing off. And please, for God's sake, will someone do something about those bloody horses? Ah, oh, the horses. <laughs> Cox. <laughs> uh, and it's Devlin in London signing out with a hearty Cox. <laughs> okay, and Matt in South Korea. Bye, everybody. And in, uh, in J-horror tradition, we are going to play an outro song, which is wholly inappropriate to the subject matter we've been discussing. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Do we have a, a wonderful saccharine ballad? Uh, no, not really. Um, ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Chicks on Speed. <laughs> no one noticed you had disappeared. It's been two days, no connection. Pile of hardware making hits If the quality is high At the parties There's a place for you On the guest list There's a place for you In a somebody's eye The world in the cosmopolitan, we see Jeff Kinn celebrating.
unused, toys of the mind. We think improvement, a better feeling generated, accelerating. That was a strange movie. You took me through. He's a finder.